Well, the story continues. We'll see what happens. Hey, want to take a moment and welcome those of you that are watching online and, and uh, now those of you at our brand new location there in Dieball at the Dieball Correctional Center. So glad to have you. You're not a project. You're part of our church family. Let's give it up for them, everybody. Yeah. Just want to speak directly to you that, that man, we're so glad you're joining us and, and uh, an extension of the church family, not just a ministry over there. I invite you that the same way we do right here uh, during this service, we take our worship guide and we, we take some notes. I invite you to right there, uh, there on your seat, uh, you had a connect card and a, and, a, and a worship guide. Man, follow along as we jump in. Now, before we get started, I think it's important to do some celebrating together. Uh, we work hard as a church. We have a, a, a huge... Uh, Dream Team, which is our volunteer team that give countless thousands of man hours every year, thousands upon thousands, to uh, provide opportunity, provide intersections for people to find Jesus. And this last uh, Easter experience with eight services and the, the, the glow hunts and all of that, all of that, all of those things were simply to present the gospel message to people. It's the power into salvation. And so I just want to celebrate for a moment. 406 Dream Teamers served that weekend, gave of their time on Easter weekend. Thank you so much for doing that. Altogether, altogether, we had a banner Easter, a banner Sunday weekend experience for us in that uh, we had an attendance higher than any other weekend we've ever had in the history of Timber Creek Church. Uh, there were over 4,022 people that came into our services over that weekend, more than 10% of the population of Lufkin. Would you give it up for what God is doing? Pretty neat, pretty neat. Somebody said to me on the phone the other day, they said, man, you know, like if you got 10% of like Dallas, you'd be hundreds of thousands of people. The, the opportunity to influence uh, a city is, is, is at our hands, and it's awesome to be able to, to impact for, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Hey, a couple other numbers that I think are important. Uh, those that said, Jesus, I surrender. More than 316 people said, I want to start or restart on paper with a name, said, I want to start or restart a relationship with Christ. Come on, would you thank Jesus for that? It's what it's really all about. Starting that relationship and then taking next steps. How can they take next steps if they don't start somewhere? And then we had people that say, hey, I'm still considering, 87 that marked that. And then people said, nah, this, this whole Jesus thing or Christianity is just not for me. We had eight uh, check the card there. And I, and I said on the Easter weekend that we just want you to know we're just going to pray for you that God would reveal himself to you. So let's do that this morning. Father, we thank you for the souls that uh, made a decision to cross the line of faith surrendering to you, and God, we thank you for uh, next steps in their life. May they be uh, quick to listen. May they be uh, hungry for more, and may we do our part uh, to help guide them along, Lord. Uh, Father, we pray, though, for those that are still, still considering, Lord, we, may they really know this is a church they can come to. For those that say no thanks, they, they've closed the door. God, I know that there are some of us in this room even right now that at one time or another, we close the door to you. But you just have a way of knocking. You just have a way of standing at the door and knocking. And so, God, I pray that they would hear the knock, they would hear your voice, and they would open the door. 
Father, we thank you. Now, Father, for the next few moments we have, speak to us clearly that when we leave this place, we'll say to each other, you know, I've heard from God today. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Everybody said amen. Amen. So we're in chapter 8 of a 31-chapter experience going through the story of God. Uh, by the time we're done, we will have looked at and read, if you're following along with the storybook that you can, uh, ha- that's available in the foyer and in Cafe Aroma, you'll have read 80% of the scriptures this year and have a chronological understanding with 31 stories that connect the dots of this huge upper story of what God has planned in heaven and the lower story of what we're experiencing on earth as God continually unfolds his plans and purposes for our lives. Uh, We've gone through a timeline of starting with creation and the fall of man and the flood and the the separation of of, of languages at at Babel. And now we get into a new piece of the puzzle. And in the timeline from, from the first part, which is the garden and the fall of man, we get into this building of the nation. And we have Abraham is given a promise that he's going to, through his seed, there will be a massive Massive nation, uh, that, and that all nations will be blessed by him. So that through the line of Abraham, through the through, through the uh, Jewish culture, through through the Jewish uh, uh, ethnicity, there will come a Messiah, and will touch every nation. And so Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Uh, Jacob has twelve sons. Jacob's name is turned to Israel. One of those sons, Joseph, becomes the deputy Pharaoh. Invites the rest of the nation of Israel, the rest of the tribes of Israel, to live at peace and harmony for several years in Egypt until they get two big to handle. Pharaoh gets scared and he dominates the the, the nation of Israel, puts them under uh, slavery. It is through that process of 400 years of slavery that God builds up a deliverer in Moses. He's showing us an upper story and a lower story. You and I are indebted to sin. You and I are slaves to this earthly dilemma of sin, and it requires a heavenly solution. It requires a deliverer. And he sends the deliverer in Moses, and through a miracle hand of God, Pharaoh softens his heart. They, they are released or exodused out of Egypt, and we get to the next leader, the second in command who takes over once Moses is dead. It's Joshua. They enter into the promised land and they begin to battle it out. They they put up the dukes and they begin to duke it out for the promised land. And that's kind of where we're situating today. So they've come in, they've begun to conquer, they begin to take take over uh, different places. That's the promised land. And in between now and our very first king of Israel, Saul, and the whole monarchy of Israel, before we get to that monarchy, we've got this gray space in between and it's the year it's the years of about 350 or so years of ups and downs ups and downs the seesaw of a nation a spiritual seesaw pattern we're going to look at that a little bit so let me ask you this first question as we jump off when I say the name judge what 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 comes to your mind Maybe when I say the name judge, you think of Judy. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what comes to your, your mind. Uh, maybe I say judge, you think of last Thursday because <laughs> we're in trouble or whatever. Uh, you think of judge, you think of the Supreme Court. When we read the book of Judges and we, we see these judges, an, another name for judges uh, really could be, and you can just write this down in your notes, Savior. Now, it doesn't mean that a judge uh, on, uh, in the courthouse is Savior, but when we read the understanding of judges, we see that really these were 
saviors that were brought into the mix, brought up in the moments where things were going very south and, and how we had this, this, this timeline of judges up and down, up and down. And so I want to show you something here. Two key reasons why Israel needed some saviors. Two key reasons why Israel needed some judges or some saving. And the first one is this. Once they get into Jericho and they begin to conquer different places, they had issues with the environment they were living in. So write this down, number one, the influence of an environment. A key reason why they needed saving was the influence of the environment of that promised land. The Bible shows us in Judges 1.28, when Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor but never drove them out completely. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in uh, Jezer. But the Canaanites continued to live there among them. There was something that, that God had commanded them to do, and that was don't go to the right, don't go to the left, be strong and courageous, meditate on the word, do this, and you will live and you will prosper, and things will go well wherever you set your foot. And yet they allowed a little bit of the culture to remain. Now, I, don't, I, I, I uh, cannot explain to you at the human level uh, all the bloodshed and the why. I, I, I can't, you can't quite understand it and neither can I, but let me just explain something to you. This is not a story of political correctness about how we view human life. God's the giver and the taker of life and he uses humanity to share his story. And if he takes life, he takes life. If he gives life, he gives life. That's to God. It, it, God is the giver and taker of life. And so there may be, when you're reading this, some, oh, that's ticklish, or oh, that's hard that they're wiping people out in the name uh, of God. What you need to, and I need to wrestle with, is this upper and lower story that God is using this history of the word to show us we can't fix it on our own. We don't have what it takes to do what it takes. We need someone beyond ourselves. And he's showing the ups and downs of brutality of life, of war, of, of killing, uh, the, the environment in which we live. So when we apply this to our own lives, understand the environment you have in your home affects the influence you really offer to your children. Um, the environment in your workplace is going to affect you or you're going to affect it. There, there is power in an environment. You need to understand the influence of just the space around you. It makes, oh, I'll be all right. I don't mind that. I can hang out with that. I can watch that. I can listen to that. I can smoke that. Whatever. I just have got, the, it's the influence of the environment. And I promise you, when you allow the things that are not of God to just sit as though they are, because like the Canaanites, they let them dwell among them. You know what the biggest thing they learned from the Canaanites? False God worship. So they begin to add. Now, here's the, here's the deal. It's not that the Israelites turn their, turn their back on God. It's not that they said Forget you, God. No, it's like, God, you stay here, but we're going to add a couple other gods to it. So it's, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that they abandoned God. It was the first commandment, thou shall have no other gods before me. Like, no other gods. And so they were breaking the first commandment. They're not saying, okay, God, you're important, but so is like, let's pray to the rain God because, man, we need crops. And let's kind of pick this up. And you see that all throughout the rest of the story of Israel. 
this pagan worship that slips in and takes over. The, the second thing, the second reason why they needed someone to come in and raise up and be the judge or the savior is because they failed. It was the inadequate equipping of the next generation. They did not powerfully, effectively equip the next generation to stand against this cultural phenomenon. They just assumed that they'll figure it out on their own when they had direct instructions from God on how to effectively communicate. Friends, I've heard people say, I'm just gonna let my kids figure it out on their own. What, with, two, with, with brushing their teeth? What, with like eating food? With like playing in the street? No! Like touching the hot oven? No, you like, get, get your hand away from that oven. Get back out of the street. No, stop running after that ball, Graham. Like, like this is like three days ago. Brush your, I told you seven times, brush your teeth. It's not like, well, you know, hey, there's a toothbrush, there's toothpaste. Whenever you feel like it, I just don't want to put, I don't want to press it on you. What? And when it comes to spiritual matters, we're responsible to impress them, to, to, to show them, to guide them. And you say, man, I don't know how to do that. Then be in church and we'll help you. But many people say, I don't know how to do it, so they also don't be, cons- they're not consistent. It's just, look, look, here's the deal. I'm just going to talk straight. April 8th, the week after Easter, is one of the lowest attendance. You can, I can tell in the room. You don't have my perspective, but you got 4,000 people show up on an Easter weekend because it's a duty, because it's a tradition, because it's kind of what Christians do. And then a lot of people fall off the very seven days later. Seven days later. Some of you, man, you're not the norm. You came back. We're so glad to have you. But there are others It's just like, that's just what they do. Look at the scripture, what it says. Before they get into the promised land, before Joshua, Moses says this to Joshua, and they're spreading it out before they go. They say, hey, here's what God says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. We know it is the greatest commandment now. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, not just on your lips. We do a lot of lip service to these things, but heart shows where I'm going. Where your heart is, your treasure will be. It shows us what's important. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. Look, when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, pretty much everywhere. You can see that when you sit at home, that's mealtime, parents. When you walk along the road, well, we're not walking to school these days, but we have drive time. Drive time can count for impressing upon your kids the things of God. When you lie down, that's, that's bedtime. Before they, you know, don't go to bed angry, make the most of bedtime, say the important words, Jesus loves you, I love you, I forgive you, you forgive me. Don't forget, you gotta get up right and early, and I don't wanna tell you three times, like, 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 and then when you get up, and see, so when you're sitting at home, you're teaching them. When you're driving along the road, there's, 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 there is friendship developing. When they're lying down, you're counseling them. You're listening to them. We have a rule. You can stay up as late as you want in our home if you're laying down with mommy and daddy and talking. Now, if you want to lay down with mommy and daddy and be on the phone and play whatever, flappy fire, then, then, then no, it's time for bed. But you want to talk, you can talk as long as you want to talk. And then when you get up, man, you're coaching them. Let's go. It's so critical. But here's what happens. They say this. They go into the promised land. And look what Judges chapter 2 says. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up, 
who neither who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They failed at sharing the good things of God. They failed at processing and pressing on the hearts of their children. And you may not have this in your study notes. You don't have any blanks today, but you may want to write this down. And I'll put it in red, white, and blue for you. America is one generation away from a culture that does not know the grace and goodness of Christ. We're, we're one generation away. I'm going to tell you, it, it, it's not, it does not matter your political preference, whether it's Trump or anybody else. It's us that's responsible for the next generation. Dear Lord, you want to put... We're putting all kinds of stuff in the government's hands. You want to put the, the spirituality future of our children in their hands too? No, it's not their responsibility. It's our responsibility as men and women, parents, moms and dads, grandparents. It's our responsibility. And we're one generation from a culture that forgets about the grace and goodness of God. Look overseas and you'll see it. Look overseas and museums used to not be museums. They used to be churches. We've got to be serious about impressing these things. So what's the result of that? When they don't do that, what's the result? Well, we see this activated in our own culture, but there is this, this, there's this, like, this cycle of spiritual wandering. They wandered for 40 years, and they had this other part of spiritual wandering up and down with the judges. And so God, they would wander, God would bring up a judge. They would wander, God would bring up a judge. They would wander, God would bring up a judge. And here's the cycle. Uh, here's what it looked like. You, you may want to jot this down. You can kind of follow along with a map. But it starts like this. Sin. Sin is basically saying, God, don't be first in my life. Let my want, my desire, my preference, me, my emotion, my feeling, my thoughts on life. I want to be as smart as you the same way the, uh, Eve takes the, app, the, the fruit. That's sin. We want to be on the throne instead of God being on the throne of our lives. And we sin. And what sin does is when we have sin in our life, it brings oppression. And oppression is, is, is things don't go right. You're, you're, you're running the hamster wheel. You wonder, is this all there is to life? You, you, you try and, you, and you, get, you feel like you're in spiritual quicksand because that's what sin does. That's what sin does. You cannot expect things to be going great and live a life of sin. But from sin to oppression, they, the, the, the Israelites, they realize the oppression and the bondage they're in. They get attacked from all corners. They get subdued. And so they go to repentance. They go back to that God that they had forgotten with all the other gods. They repent. They say, forgive us, God. We're sorry. And you know the grace of God? This cycle goes on. Not just one. He didn't say one strike and you're out. Like some of us are on like the 47th cycle this month. But then God raises up a judge or a savior, and, and he begins to turn, he begins to turn the momentum from going down, lift up the judge, and notice that, that the judge is the mouthpiece of God, but it's God that does the saving. He just uses someone in the flesh to be his, his instrument of salvation. And notice the story, the, the upper story that God is showing us. He's going to bring someone who's the ultimate savior. No longer are we going to have up and down judges. There's going to be one judge, one judge alone, one savior, one ultimate savior that's going to come and fill this position. And so once the judge is in place, God brings deliverance. 
And for a while, they're delivered and they celebrate and then they enjoy the fruit of the land. They enjoy the fresh water of life and yet they sin again. And once they sin, they get into oppression. And can you see this? It's this vicious cycle repeated six times. You start here, you're way down there over six times. You follow me? So this is the process, no matter where you are, no matter what sin it is, it oppresses We have to repent to turn the corner. God's grace provides the salvation. In the Old Testament, it was these judges. And then we see deliverance, and that's we're, we're to live the delivered life. But then we fall again, and we're oppressed. And that process goes over and over and over. And for the rest of the time we have this morning, I want to talk about Uh, these judges and and just a couple key elements of the judges. Number one, God orchestrates the deliverance through a human. The judges were flawed human beings. They were not perfect. They had plenty of issues and that God still does great work through imperfect people. Thank Jesus that through his spirit that raised him from the dead that dwells in us, we can can provide good things. We, We can be empowered by his spirit to help lead people. But he uses us. It's not us that does the deliverance. It's Jesus through us. It's Jesus through us. What kind of Jesus are people experiencing through you? What kind of savior are people, your family, your friends, your spouse, what kind of savior are they experiencing through you? Well, we could list several of the judges, but we're gonna go to one popular one that we, we may know some about, but maybe not everything, and it's Samson. And I mean, Samson, physically, he's Rambo. Spiritually, he's <laughs> Pee Wee Herman. He's got this God-given strength. But you know, like many people that we see in the Bible, and many of us, including me, sometimes God's strength will take us where our character won't keep us. And we see in Samson that God had empowered him and was taking him places, but it was his character, it was his issues that kept him from going to the next place. I don't want that to be me. I don't want it to be you. And Samson, although he had this physical, like, miracle strength, we see Paul say in Ephesians, your strength must come from the Lord's, almighty, Lord's mighty power within you. And he's showing, he's showing us that your strength won't cut it. Your strength, you still have issues. And so for the rest of the moments we have, what I want you to do, we're going to take three thoughts on maintaining spiritual strength in a culture that wants to weaken my life. This culture wants to weaken your life. This culture may be about self-help, which is really shelf-help, because a lot of people get that self-help book and then it's on the shelf, so it's shelf-help book. How do you maintain spiritual strength in a culture that's begging you to weaken your life? So three things that I see in the story of Samson. The first one is this. Would you write write this down? Self-indulgence. Weakens my life. We see it in Samson. Our culture begs for self-indulgence. Come on, you deserve it. No, have two. Don't just have one, have two. Even good things in culture can become harmful when it's too much. Water's great. My grandma said it, water's lovely just to drink. But don't drown in it, because it can drown you. 
Water can kill you, right? God gave the gift of sex. Sex is a beautiful thing. It's a God thing. It's for, it was given for creation, recreation, but sex outside of God's design creates a self-indulgence that damages your spiritual walk. Self-indulgence weakens my life. And man, Samson's weakened. Sammy's, Sammy's weakness was ladies. Three chapters, three women. Like, I mean, dude has a track record. Not very, not very much chapter on Samson. But he's like got three ladies in no time. Read it. Three chapters. And his excuse is basically this. Just this once. Self-indulgence, just this once. I mean, I've said that about a bite of cheesecake or 40. Yeah, just this one bite, I'll just take one. Come on, self-indulgence weakens my life. And Samson thinks he's big enough, strong enough, got enough behind him, got enough anointing that this one area I can give in a little bit. We read in Judges chapter 14, Samson's went, Samson went down to Timnah. He saw a young Philistine woman, and when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine. I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. <laughs> Samson, get her for me. His father and mother replied, and, and they must be kind of like a little timid with Samson. Get her for me. My dad would be like, do you want your teeth in your mouth or your pocket? You don't talk to me like that. My dad would be like, you got two feet in a heartbeat. Go get her yourself. What you going to do? But his father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your own people? Must you go to the Philistines to get, a, to get a wife? And look what he says. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one. And in Hebrew, it says, she's pleasurable for me. She's pleasurable for me. It's about me. His excuse is, it'll be no big deal. I want what I want. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul writes, don't be misled. Remember, you can't ignore God and get away with it. A man will always reap just the kind of crop he sows. He goes on to say, if he sows to please his own wrong desires, he will be planting seeds of evil and will surely reap a harvest of spiritual decay and death. So you reap what you sow. If you bend the truth, expect bent truth. And then what you do is you live your life. If you're bending the truth, you live your life suspecting everything else is bent. If you, if you live this, this uh, uh, Jekyll and Hyde life, expect Jekyll and Hyde results. We, we, we reap what we sow, the good stuff and the junk. First Peter Towards the end of the New Testament, strengthen yourselves with Christ's way of thinking. Strengthen. Live your lives controlled by God's will, not by human desires. So you may want to write it down on number one. If self-indulgent weakens my life, if I'm going to maintain that spiritual strength, I must discipline my desires. You've got desires. And sometimes our desires go haywire. Mine too. And if I don't discipline my own desires, 
I will find myself in trouble. You will find yourself in trouble. Don't take the route of Samson. And it may not be women for you. It may be the easy way out, the comfort zone, the ability to just kind of shadow the truth, which is really lying, to kind of pick and choose and cherry pick the kind of character, conduct, and conviction you'll live with according to the word and then according to your own desires. Discipline our desires. You want to stay strong, discipline your desires. Number two, resentment weakens my life. Not only does self-indulgent do the trick, but weak, resentment weakens my life. Resentment and bitterness and anger is us getting all upset and expect someone else to hurt over it, and it never, it never works. And you can see this activated in Samson's life. He lives a life of constant anger and frustration. He like blows up and he's the kind of guy that like maybe you toilet paper his house, but then you, you toilet paper Samson's house and then you come home and all your chickens are dead. Like, like that's how Samson operates. Like he, he slashes your tires and, and, and you, just, you just said, you know, hey, how are you doing? Psych, that's it. Resentment weakens my life. And you can see it in several different scriptures. He says, Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even. He gave his new wife a little clue to a, a, a riddle he had made. She ended up telling people. He got all upset. He said, you've been plowing with my heifer. He was talking about his wife. Gentlemen, listen. Can I just recommend... A lot of things you can say. Have you been discussing some things with my wife? I would encourage you not to say, you've been plowing with my heifer. Okay. It's what it, read the Bible. It's awesome. It's just it's incredible. You ought to read it. You really ought to. I'm going to get even. Boy, that sounds like God, doesn't it? No. Since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my what? Revenge. Verse 11. I merely did what they did to me. So his excuse is, I hurt them because they hurt me. So if they're going to do it, I'm going to do it. Oh, don't think that they're going to get away with that. And so he spends so much collateral energy being upset and resenting and fighting stuff. Job says it like this in chapter 5, to worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do so he just spins the wheels being creative on how to get back one one way he gets back to the to the philistines is he he takes his time and he catches 300 foxes and he ties the foxes together by the tail and on the tail he puts a torch this is the first, the first moment we had taillights. I'm so, no, 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 no. That's bad. That's bad. Strike that from the record, okay? And he takes these now 150 couples, 300 foxes, he lets them loose in the, in the uh, harvest fields of the enemy, lights those suckers on fire. Like, man, somebody took your wife. Okay, she told us the riddle. She told us the answer to the riddle. I'm gonna burn your entire nation down. And that's what he does. That's what he, that's what he does. So, so what's the lesson here? 
To maintain spiritual strength, I must restrain my reactions. Like, I just, they made me get so. I wouldn't have had they not. Well, if you wouldn't do that, I wouldn't. You are responsible. There is no wizard behind the, 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 the curtain. It's you. It's your body, it's your soul, it's your spirit. And you've got to take your mind captive to make it obedient. You've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we've got to restrain our actions. And guess what, everybody? I'm going to give you a little secret. You cannot do it on your own. As much as I wish I could restrain my reaction, you are not capable of restraining all your flesh all the time. It's why we live not by the flesh, but by the spirit. And it's not the spirit of us, it's the spirit of Jesus in us. It's why it's so necessary that we truly surrender to him. Without it, without it, we are a product of our own emotions. Number three. Carelessness weakens my life. Self-indulgence, resentment, and just being careless. Just not really caring. Samson had made commitments to God, and he had become careless with his commitments. God had asked him to be set apart, to take a Nazarite vow, and the Nazarite vow was very simple. Basically, no alcohol. The Nazarite vow said you would be on a special diet, and he also gave them his instruction to never cut his hair. Because every day he wakes up with that mat of hair on his head, it's a reminder he's separate. It's a, a reminder he is who God has called him to be. A physical expression of an inward commitment. And so the spiritual insight we get from here, carelessness weakens my life. If you want to maintain strength, you got to keep your commitments. And Samson struggled. Samson thought, I'm going to keep my commitments here, but over here, this is free game. And it wasn't overnight. It wasn't just like one big decision he made. Nobody, none of... Nobody has an affair on one decision, on just one moment. No, nobody gets divorced over just one thing. Irreconcilable differences is, is not one thing. It's this fading away, drifting. One author said it like this. I think it's worth writing down. Nobody falls off the cliff of character overnight. Nobody falls off the cliff of character overnight and he's got this deal with these women and he's thinking to himself it'll be different for me I, I can handle this I'm strong I've already defeated these guys man with my hand I just beat them down with a hand and, a, and, and the, the, the head of a donkey like I, I got this and Delilah the third woman he has met his match Delilah even today Delilah runs a, an evening um, uh, call-in session for, for people on KFOX 95.5. You can listen to Delilah. It's a, it's a joke. That's a syndicate. It's an old syndicated thing of a woman named Delilah. She's all listening to people cry about stupid stuff. She's like, well, listen to this song. Anyway, so that's so Delilah's that third, and she, he's a force to be reckoned with. And she keeps saying, hey, 
Sammy, I made your favorite cheesecake. Hey, how do you, what's your strength? Because she had been paid off 25 grand to find out the secret so the Philistines could take him over. And so she says, okay. So after he gets tired from all that cheesecake, she says, here, come here. She's just rubbing her hands through his hair. Baby doll, baby Sammy, how, how, what's your strength? He says, okay, don't tell anybody. But like, if you tie me down with seven bow strings, the, the, the string of a, of a bow, tie me down with seven bow strings, I'll, I'll lose my strength. It's crazy. It's nuts. She goes, oh, man, hope that never happens. He wakes up, and in the dim light of the evening, there's all these Philistine guards about ready to jump him, and he's like, he's tied down by seven bows, bow strings. And he goes, click, <laughs> like, like just click, gets up, defeats them all. He's like, what happened? Eli's like, I don't know what happened. It's crazy. Samson was, man, elevator did not go all the way. <laughs> Apparently. He's like, oh, protein shake. <laughs> like, he just. Second, she goes, okay, well, what, what, what is it really? Here, here's a pizza. He says, oh, it's new ropes. If somebody ties me down with a new rope, I can't, like, it, I lose my strength. Next day, wakes up from a nap. Dude is napping like, like a hero, I'm going to tell you right now. Wakes up. He's tied down by new ropes. Philistines are like, ah, get him, boys. He's like, click, click. They're done. And Delilah's like, what happened? He's like, somebody told him about our new ropes. She's like, are you serious? I mean, it's, it's new ropes, it's that. It's, it, now he's getting close. See this fade, see the drift. Baby, do you really love me? And he tells her, well, if you braid my hair, see how he's getting close? She's starting to get a little closer. Something's getting, you braid my hair, it's not flowing like Fabio. It, I got issues. Same thing. Finally, we get to the scripture that Judges 16. She said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? It's the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Now, Samson, bro, run. Run, dude. But look at this scripture, and I think this is a very powerful scripture. I'm not going to tell you how it can be applied to everyday life, but with such nagging, (laughs) she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. It's a life scripture, friends. It's a life scripture. I'm kidding. My wife's not here today, so don't tell her I said that. So look, so he told her everything. He told her everything. Wore him down, told her everything. Then the Philistine seized him, gorged his eyes out. Took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding in the prison don't know exactly how long but blinded not blinded by the Philistines friends blinded by self-indulgence blinded by carelessness blinded by resentment he finally was blinded physically lost his strength and in order to maintain a spiritual 
spiritually strong life. We gotta avoid those elements. So the question I have for you today is this, what's the weak link in my life? Could it be not saying no? What's the weak link in my life? Is it resenting something that's caused you to have relational rift? What's the weak link? Is it carelessness? You just say, I'll be fine. I can ask forgiveness on Sunday. I'll be fine. Nobody will find out. Nobody will know. God's going to forgive me. It's a no big deal. He's full of grace. And yet on this earth, you can see these things take, take over and destroy your life. So maybe identify this. What's the weak link? And the next question would be, when am I going to do something about it? Because if you recognize it and you've not done something about it, it's like, you remember how stupid Samson sounds, friends? Because we're talking to friends here. You know how stupid Samson sounds to give her the bowstrings, to give her the braided hair, to give her the, the, the new ropes, to give her the, if you cut my hair? Like, but how ridiculous it sounds for us to deal with stuff and deal with stuff and deal with stuff and deal with stuff and never, never offer it to the Lord, never surrender it. The truth is there will be no other saviors. The almighty savior has come. We celebrated his resurrection and he's still alive today and he's ready to deliver us. And then he will use you as imperfect as you are to do what he's called you to do next. Lean in to him. He gives us the strength. Would you close your eyes with me right here in the auditorium, those of you watching? With your eyes closed, your heads bowed, one of the staff are going to join me up here close. And this is a moment for you to do business with God, not just business with me, but business with God. And maybe you're here and there's been some elements stealing your strength, stealing your spiritual stamina. There's nothing you can do to fix it yourself. The good news is Samson cried out to God and God delivered Samson. He didn't die just a tragic death by himself, uh, spinning a wheel, crushing grain. God used him in one final act because he repented and God delivered him. The judge, the savior, God delivered him. And he'll do the same for you. If you're here this morning and you say, I, I've got some things that are stealing, stealing my spiritual strength. I want to offer it to the Lord today. Very quickly with a hand, just shoot it up straight in the air, stealing my strength. Man, I'm done. I'm, I'm done letting it steal my, all over the room, all over the room. Let's pray. Father, for those that raised a hand and those that wanted to but felt like they didn't but their heart is in the right place God we surrender to you we do what Samson did in the moment of blindness in the moment of coming to his senses in the moment of looking man I'm just walking in a circle pushing this wheel crushing this grain I'm tired of being in this cycle and he cried out to God God we cry out to you would you change this cycle we're on
God, bring deliverance like you showed us you would. And thank you, Lord, that we're not waiting on a physical deliverer, but you sent us Jesus. Jesus, for these indulgences, for these resentments, for these carelessnesses, we offer them back to you, Lord. Take them. Palms up. And God, replace them with trust in you. Place them with character and discipline that pushes beyond my desires. Thank you, God, that you're not done with us. Thank you that even if I find myself in this cycle of sin and oppression, that you are quick to save. You are mighty to save. You are, you are fast to come to the rescue. And so this process is not relying on my perfection to never mess up. It's relying on your perfection to deliver me when I do. And God, the more and more I fall in love with you, the more and more I see you, the slower that process becomes, the more I live the delivered life. And we thank you for that promise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.